0: Hello, what is going on? Happy Friday. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game, now found together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintex studio kintech footwear and orthotics canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2500 five-star google reviews find your perfect fit at kintech.net 650 650 is the Dunbar lumber text line it is our final show after a game show of the year drancer canucks wrap up the season <laughs> with a quintessential canucks game <laughs> Winning 5-4 in overtime after blowing a 4-1 lead in Arizona.
1: Qu- quintessential is the perfect word. Thank you. It was... I wrote this last night, but it's like... They, it was like a band. It was like the 2022-23 the Canucks... It was like the greatest hits album? Left the stage, right? And everyone's like, encore, encore, encore. And they walked back out and they played the hits, right? So it was like, you want some fun goals? Yeah! shredding like picking their teeth playing the fender and then and then how about some bad goaltending like yay people are crowd surfing right and then like someone in the front row vomits and it's like (laughs) and it's like why don't we blow a multi-goal lead like yeah and then like true pandemonium breaks out and it's like oh want to see a ot that seals us soaring our draft lottery position it's like yes we do yes we do how are you doing Vancouver (laughs) not great (laughs) that was the Vancouver Canucks concert at the Commodore last night it was perfect it was truly outrageous it was the perfect uh,
0: ending to this season Uh, as you all know by now I'm sure but just to to confirm they finish 11th in the draft lottery a 3% chance to draft Connor Bedard. So there you go. The <laughs> lowest possible odds to
1: still have a chance at Connor Bedard so, is where the Canucks finish. The only like, if I if I'd laid this out to you in September, what would the inbox have looked like, right? Like the Canucks are going to oh. lose seven in a row right out the gate. Fan, a fan is going to throw a jersey on the ice at the very first home game. From there, the fissures between front office and coaching staff. Will bubble over into the public, effectively undermining Bruce Boudreau's leadership capability with the club as as the club listlessly stumbles to the bottom five, a bottom five spot in the standings. But no, the organization, with no interest in actually pursuing the max lottery odds for Connor Bedard, will hire Rick Tockett and go on a massive late season win streak. Um, you know, to to finish. 11th with the 11th best lottery odds uh, as a result of a 613 winning percentage from three games before the NHL draft lottery on. Oh, and uh, Quinn Hughes and Pedersen will set some franchise records and Andre Kuzmenko is going to have 80 points, but mm-hmm. it's, but it doesn't even matter because this team is still going to be exactly where they've been for much of the last eight years in the, in the low wow. 80s. Pe- if I'd said that to you in September, what would you Pe- have said? People would not have been happy. W- would people have said that's a nightmare scenario? Yep. Like, w- could you have drawn up a script worse and, and way, more excruciating? by the way,
0: congratulations on winning our bet, by the way. 80- Thank you. 83 points for the Canucks. They needed OT to do it. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, come yeah. on. I'm so close. I'm that, so close to winning. That, that was out.
1: a perfectly weighted OU. It was. That was good. Yeah. It reach out to r- me, play <laughs> now. Reach out to me, play now.
0: <laughs> literally came down to overtime in the final game to decide. So it, good. Man. You get it. You get it. Congratulations. Uh, no, but like, even in... I don't know, January? Thanks, bud. I, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, it makes it a lot easier when we didn't put anything on the line. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, even in January, to. I was scoffing at the idea that they were going to charge
1: up the standings to this degree. I saw like seventh, eighth, something like that, right? But like, I didn't think they'd get out of no, the bottom y- ten. No one would have thought that they were going to hang around with... Like, if I told you, and I think I, I, I kept doing it, if I told you that they're going to catch Montreal, and when I kept doing it, you'd be like, I can see that. Yeah. But... L- even later in the season Washington, and despite it Detroit being St. My Louis call, I did not see. Well, you were but you were wiser to that risk than me mm. far earlier. That's true. So it's it's like an interesting one. It's I've I can't imagine a more miserable path to one point over fake NHL 500 Like I I can't. I honestly I'm just stunned by what's unfolded and genuinely grateful. I and I never say this, but I'm grateful that it's over. Like, I'm grateful that this season is at an end. We'll have locker room clean-out day with yep. the players on Saturday. Canucks management, although not Jim Rutherford, will speak on Monday. We'll get into that a little bit later. And and that's and, and it's like, thank goodness. What a mercy. Well, and I will say, I mean, it sets up, like, every off
0: season is interesting, especially for the Vancouver Canucks. I, I don't know if this one is. I I think okay. they, well, I here's, think they I, need to do work
1: on. before this is interesting.
0: I agree with you in the sense that I think there is this massive expectation for like wholesale roster change. I think that could be end up being a disappointment if that's oh, what your yeah. expectations are. Now, having said that, like that's still interesting if that's the way it goes, right? If there's this desire to push and Um, a a seeming appetite for wholesale roster change and it doesn't materialize. That's disappointing. But like the fact that it doesn't happen can be interesting. I just think there's some really fascinating decisions they have to make. And as you said, some work they have to do. And I think watching that process play out, I'm going to be really interested to see how it goes. But I agree with you that like, if you're expecting like 10, 10, Guys who are regular players on this team to be gone next
1: year? I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, this front office is going to have to, like, do the work to set it up where the, where we can say this will be an interesting offseason. You know, like, the, 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 it requires setup. Three things I'm genuinely interested in heading into the offseason, mm-hmm. okay? One, I'm interested to see how the Abbotsford Canucks do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm legitimately looking forward to watching Abbotsford Canucks hockey. I'm going to try and get out there for at least a playoff game, maybe, maybe more. I'm interested in covering it. I'm interested in writing it. I think there's some pretty interesting things going on down there. Jeremy Colleton clearly doing a great job hearing it more and more from agents and industry contacts, too. Right. Like there's a lot of interest in what the Canucks are building now down in Abbotsford. Interested in seeing it up close and, um, uh, you know, now that the NHL season's over and also interested in seeing how they fare uh, in the age in the Calder Cup playoffs. Two, Pedersen. Pedersen's the most interesting part of this offseason. Becomes extension eligible in July. Will he or won't he? We know the organization's going to come heavy and hard to try and get it done. Can they? Can they get it done? Can they get it done expeditiously? That's number two. And then number three is, do we get to at any point have the credible non-pie in the sky version of the could they sign Gavrikov and Barbashev conversation? or Or not? like can this team finally right having failed to do so at the deadline last year having failed to do so in the offseason last year having failed to do so at the deadline this year and in fact all the time all the while adding cap commitments as they've gone is this the year they finally find a way to shed you know a, a, a bad contract above 3 million dollars right yeah. N- not a Hammonick, not a Dickinson level deal but like a, a meaningful um, you know, Connor Garland going out the door, Brock Besser going out the door, Tyler Myers going out the door just to list the um, most obvious candidates. Can, can this team meaningfully carve out cap space and set up the space where we can actually to do some begin other to, interesting things where, where where we can begin to be like it. And the Canucks enter the off season yeah. poised to improve. Or who like, can, can they can add as their third, third line center? Who
0: can they add on, on the, on defense, right? What Options
1: are available to yeah. them. Yeah.
0: So, I wanted to frame it this way. You mentioned some of the names, because I know you love your tears. So I wanted to say that, like, what I view as, like, I call it the tears of gonna, turnover. You're, <laughs> the tears of roster turnover you're going for the Canucks to, this year.
1: You're going to... Sorry. You're going to give me your tears unrequested. Yeah. I appreciate that. Because <laughs> I know. Because I'm, I'm a thoughtful
0: you. co-host, and I know you like it. So these are the tiers of, like, the scale of roster turnover. So tier one, so I, I would refer to these guys as the big four. The big four, like, problem contracts we talk about moving all the time.
1: Garland, Besser, Myers, O.E.L. Interesting that none of them were in the thank you fans graphic, eh? hmm Like, there's a reason. I'm not I'm not exactly breaking new ground putting them on
0: the, like, four contracts that are going to be attempted to be moved in some way. I, I, right? lo-
1: I love the idea that there was a conversation at some point, or maybe a list that was built and handed down, and I've been part of these before, where, like, a graphic designer's like, can we include Dakota Joshua? It's like, yeah, fine. Do it. What about PDG? Was he in it? No, <laughs> but not not on waivers today. No, I noticed like that. Christian yeah. So, so maybe not going down to the NHL. Full time NHL guy, PDG. All right. So, tier one of
0: turnover is one or two of the big four depart. So one or two of Garland, Besser, Start, Myers, Oel. Where are you setting? That's the, the lowest tier. No, but set of set turnover. set the OU. Well, what do you mean? In this t- one or two?
1: Is it one point five? Is it two point five? Like where are you said in the OU? No, no, no. It's like the tier extends from one to two. That's tier one. Oh, okay. Excuse you know what me I mean? Again?
0: Now tier two is three or four of them. Right. Okay. So s- these are like the tiers of the level of change. Got it. You know what I- you see? I'm, what I mean? I'm, no, I'm struggling with no, this. No, no, concept. No, no. So, so you're building like out a pyramid. A not very significant. Like, not very significant changes. Would be one Medi- or two of those be, guys go. Exactly. Got it, Medium now changes it. or significant changes. So okay. tiers one through three. Tier two is three or four of them go. Okay. Tier three is, like, two plus of the big four and a significant surprise move. A move that we're, like, not constantly talking about. Sure. Now, I would I would throw JT Miller in there even though we are constantly talking about it. Just because it would be a surprise to move that type of deal. Uh, it would be a whopper. But, like, of those tiers, when I look at it, I'm kind of, like, my money would be on tier one. One or two of the big four going. And then no other really major surprises. And maybe you could throw, like, a Beauvillier in there. I, like, I could see a Niels Hoaglander or something, but that's not, like,
1: cap space related. That's just – those are hockey moves, well, in, potentially. Unless it is. Unless it is. Right? Unless Niels Hoaglander is bundled with X to achieve Y, right? Yeah. yeah from a cap space perspective. And, and you know, you I think you throw the post-draft lottery twenty twenty three first round pick into that mix as well you have to like you have to it's it's such a good asset it's going to be such a valuable asset and the team's best positioned to take on bad money are going to be teams that value those picks more than a team that's dead set on making the playoffs like the Canucks clearly are
0: well and that's you know, as we start to look ahead to, first, we're going to hear from the players tomorrow. And by the way, uh, Dan and Sat, your your nemeses. Yeah, uh, and we'll get into that, we'll too. Be, uh, we'll be live at Rogers Arena tomorrow, so you'll be able to hear a special edition of Canucks Central and all <laughs> the player availabilities, <laughs> what, what a some lucky, exclusive
1: interviews as well. What a lucky break for those guys that Larkin and Ovechkin, game time decisions, which I assumed was a cynical designation, incorrectly end up in the lineup. That severely dented my argument, <laughs> huh? It allowed, them, it allowed them to squirrel it. Yes. Because the, now it became about holding guys out, which was like a minor part of the argument, right? And then, I mean, they, they backed up you with the mikhaev oel thing, which you literally need brainworms to believe that, and I expected <laughs> far better from Satyar Shah. I didn't from Dan Riccio, but I expected Satyar Shah to be better. And then Satmantics, leaning on absurd semantics, Sat went through... He, he was talking about Martin Ferravari's ice are we, time. Are we doing like this now? Meaningful? Oh, we have to. Talking about Martin Ferravari's ice time? Like, is he trying to pull the wool over Canucks fans' eyes? Like, he, the, the basic facts that even Sat doesn't really argue with. The three three teams passed the Canucks in the standings last night. Uh-huh. The St. Louis Blues, the Washington Capitals, and the Detroit Red Wings. The Canucks gained 10 or more points on all of them over over the latter 36 games of the season. None of those teams had a forward that averaged more than 20 minutes per game. In that stretch, the Canucks had two, JT Miller and Elias Pettersson. None of those teams had a guy that averaged over 25 minutes a game in ice time. The Canucks had one in Quinn Hughes. None of those teams had a goaltender in the top 10 in games started over that stretch. The Canucks had one, the only non-playoff t- team to have have one, Thatcher Demko. And and more than that, it's like, even if one of those teams like had one defenseman who'd been used like that, or one forward, or one goalie, it'd be one thing. No, The Canucks had all of it going, all at once. We all know what happened here. We all know that the Canucks wanted to win down the stretch in a way that no, no other team pursued with that same level of passion. To deny it based on the semantics that they were bringing up. Oh, but Mikheyev. Mikheyev got shut. Down. He played 45 games on a torn ACL. Just ridiculous. That uh, right, Anyways. <laughs> Uh, Sat-mantics. Don't, I, don't the, miss the forest the, for the trees, Mr. Martin this, Faravari, Ice Time Watcher. Is, um,
0: this is like, and I saw you guys going back and forth on Twitter, and like Twitter arguments tend to just inherently
1: devolve towards the ridiculous. Like That's what they do, yeah. right? But it's like, I like them being like, these are the facts. It's like, yeah, those are a bunch of irrelevant facts. Way to not engage with the substance of a simple argument. Far and away, the strongest part of your argument is the minutes. Yeah. like That's it. That's, well, and that's
0: really all it comes a, down to. And
1: I to. like people being like, oh, well, what does two minutes a game matter? Not a lot. What does, what does two minutes a game over 35 games mean? An extra game for that player, right? Like, Quinn Hughes plays three minutes more than Moritz Sutter. What's it matter? Well, it's 100 minutes once you go over 36 games. Yeah, and by High. the way,
0: like, the idea that it would have been ridiculous to play those guys less, like, well, Rick Talkett started playing them
1: less over the last week.
0: Elias so Patterson sure. played under
1: 20 minutes last night. It, well, that wasn't ridiculous. And, and, and what happened? What happened when the team managed Miller, Pedersen, and his minutes? They did, but like they also looked like a team that they could lose won. any given game. That's true. I'm just saying that um, was proof of concept. Okay, we might return to uh, the, the no, 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 the I'm, ongoing I, I, central. I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to put in this. Somewhat behind me, obviously. Are, that is a
0: bold-faced lie. <laughs> you're not looking forward to putting an argument behind you. No, you're right. That is a straight, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, straight uh, lies from Thomas uh, Stratton. Like
1: most other arguments in my real life, I'm going to win it by being the only one willing <laughs> the to, only one to The only engage. one who's still participating in it. <laughs> That's how you win an argument, right? right? You just drive everyone else away. Yeah. Works like... <laughs> Works like a charm. <laughs> uh, anyways, your point. No one's talking to me, but I'm right. So Talkit <laughs> and uh,
0: and Patrick Alvin will answer questions on Monday. And, of course, uh, full blowout coverage, including us uh, live from Rogers Arena on that day. You'll be able to hear it all right here. I-, I wanted to throw this out to the listeners, too. What are your burning questions for Patrick Alvin? And I could throw Rick Talkit in there as well. But I think typically at the year-end availability, there's the most interest in what management is going to have to say as you said doesn't look like Jim Rutherford will be there it's just going to be Patrick Alveen representing the front office the general manager what are your burning questions for Canucks management 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line and you brought up the point about you can't exclude the likelihood of trading the first round pick right no matter where well not no matter where it ends up not if they win the lottery but you know if it's 11th 12th you can't exclude the possibility of them uh, trading that first round pick. And that really gets to the kind of two key questions that are related, which is one, like, what's the desperation level to clear cap space? And that does that include buyouts? Does that include potentially trading a first round pick? Not for immediate help directly, but just to clear cap space so you can do it. How pressing is the need? How much desperation is there? That's one. And then related is... How important is it to make the playoffs next year? Like, what are the stakes in your eyes for next season? Is it enough to take a step forward, right, to go from being an 83-point team to a 93-point team? Is that a satisfactory season? Or is it going to be similar to what we heard coming into this year, which is it would be a disaster for us to miss the playoffs? And I think the goal for next season really informs, it's going to inform, how much desperation there is to clear cap space. Because I keep coming back to the the difference between what we initially heard from Jim Rutherford, right, which was, like, we need to create a cap cushion, we need flexibility, to what we've heard most recently from Patrick Alvin, which is we're, we're, we know we're going to be cap compliant. And if the latter is the goal, then I don't, like – Yeah, you can be cap-compliant. You shouldn't have to be able—you shouldn't have to be trading first-round picks to be cap-compliant. We also
1: can't describe cap-compliant as the goal. It is a requirement for an NHL team to exist during the regular season.
0: Yeah, so, like—but if that's the goal, then that's a pretty—that's an extraordinarily basic goal. It is the most basic goal when it comes to salary cap. You shouldn't have to be trading first round picks to get there, right? So, like, that's kind of what I want to hear is just how, what lengths are you willing to go to? How much of a priority is it to clear a
1: significant amount of salary cap? And, and what does that look like? Well, in the framing, I'd do is to some extent, did you make your big offseason moves ahead of the deadline, right? Is Bovillier the winger? Is Heronic the defender, right? To what extent do you, is, they added Ratu, Kratsov. Like, to what extent do you feel like you've already done your July 1 shopping just on the trade market in an NCAA free agency? I'd be really curious to—I I, I, I want to frame it that way, too, because I, I feel like their answer might be a little more telling, right? The idea that sure. they've gotten out ahead of it— And, and I want to be clear, I'm not
0: suggesting anyone should go and, like, phrase the questions in the way I just did. I'm just saying, like, that's how I think of it internally. I right. understand there's a— Uh, You know, a professional way to go about things that that I'm not beholden to on
1: this show. Let me know when you find it. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I I just want to come back really quickly to my beef with Sat. Wait, I thought you said you were putting it behind you. I I just want to share a tweet that me and Sat both received last night from a gentleman named Heckled on Twitter. Because I was crying laughing about the entire thing. Okay, ready? Um... One more power pick after the game, he says. Sat and Drance into the octagon. Okay, then he says, my pick is Drance, ellipsis. Everyone always underestimates the short, bald, chubby guy. <laughs> Which, like, I am not short. You're not short, no. And then he adds, I speak from experience. <laughs>
0: Now does he mean experience of being short bald and chubby or experience of underestimating a short bald <laughs> and chubby guy?
1: I read it as the latter and I really want to know what experience it is. <laughs> That's Sorry. fantastic. I just had to share that just because <laughs> never under like first of all the idea that I'm the um betting underdog like plus 220. I love. But also just cuz I like the spice. But also <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just too funny to me I was, <laughs> That was one that like Stopped me dead in my tracks And had it me very crying good. last night when I received it Alright Jim Rutherford not being there Really quickly I think that's fascinating He said at the deadline That we wouldn't hear from him anymore But mm-hmm. this is the conclusion Of a pretty cataclysmic Canucks campaign This is his first full season at the head of hockey operations, I'm really surprised that he's not going to be joining Alvin and talk it on the dais. To me, if you're going to go quiet or if you want to lower your profile in the marketplace, um, you know, there's a time and a place to do that. Stop talking to reporters, stop doing radio hits, right? Like that's all reasonable, but end and start of year availabilities feel to me like spots where a president of hockey operations should be available um, to speak to any things like practice facilities. Well, that's what I I was ownership level to, I, questions. I do understand at a certain level. I mean, I completely understand why they are trying to really
0: follow through on the look. Patrick Alvina is the GM. He's the one making these decisions. Therefore, he's the one who's going to talk. He's the one who's going to communicate. There's not just roster and coaching and personnel questions though that are going to be asked at this type. Of availability, Like, I think it would be completely reasonable for Jim Rutherford to be there. And if he's asked, you know, is Elias Pettersson a priority to sign this offseason to defer to Patrick Alvine on that? Right. Like, I think that would be completely reasonable. But then you are there to answer, you know, can we expect new seats in Rogers Arena? Renovations, practice facilities, the kind
1: of like big picture yeah. president the, stuff. Uh, the business and yeah. hockey ops stuff. And, and you know. If, why not? Why not? If you are intent on deferring more to Alvin, be seen to do so, right? So, mm. so there's so actually not... go almost for the purpose of deferring to him, right? So yeah. go go up, maybe make a quick opening statement, right? And then any questions directed at you, you say something you know along the lines of, "Well, I think that would be great, but Patrick's fully briefed on this matter." Even if it's an ownership question, even if it's like a practice facility, right? Like, I think that would be great, and I think we need it. But Patrick's fully briefed on this matter, and I'll allow him to speak to it. Hockey question comes your way. Um, You know, I think it was a disappointing season for all of us, but Patrick will speak to our plans to change it, to get better here um, now, and we're completely on the same page. Yeah, I guess my, my question then is, like, if you're going to do that, and you're literally all you're going to do is toss the ball to Alvin, like, what's the value in showing up then? There, there's always value in showing up. There's value in showing up because then no one can say, hey, one season, he? one full season into Rutherford's tenure, can, is he struggling to handle the Vancouver market? That's now a fair question. See, I think what
0: it is is a reaction, and maybe you can say overreaction. I think that's fair because, again, I think there's a pretty clear role where he can be there without, like, stepping on Patrick Alvin. But I think it's a reaction to just... The sheer amount of noise. And to be fair, like, Rutherford was a
1: driver of that noise. But also, also, like, when Rutherford came out, the first Boudreaux press conference, my reaction was like, hey, that's awesome. Like, this is not a team that's buying their end-of-season run. This is a team with a plan. Mm -hmm. When Rutherford hung in there and took the questions after the doctors had spoken about the Tanner Pearson thing... What did we all come on radio and say? Hey, credit to him. When he took those punches. That when, was awesome. When Rutherford went on after hours, like the right after the team's
0: disastrous home opener and, and hung in there and answered questions. Now, now,
1: there's a level of availability that maybe they did overstep on. But but again, I think in establishing or setting a new baseline, end-of-year press conference, that should be a no-brainer for a president of hockey operations. Uh, that, uh, that's my view, and I think it would have been helpful, too, in terms of empowering the organization's new chosen spokesperson yeah, I see what you're for saying. Rutherford
0: to be seen to set him up. It could have been like an opportunity to like demonstrate
1: publicly the new structure and the new like way they're going to that, communicate. That, I get that. that. That would have been the argument that I would have made to him. Uh, I just think it's a tough look particularly. And I would add this particularly given, you know, how this season has unfolded, how dramatic it has been. The fact that we spent a couple of weeks talking about Rutherford's commentary to Pittsburgh newspapers about retirement, like i i think being there not that i have any doubts based on what we've already seen from rutherford about like his executive stamina right like i'm someone who bristles when rutherford's age has been mm. n- brought up because like watch him like listen to him talk listen to him talk this guy is this guy is you know he d- he this, guy is an, like, this guy isn't this guy isn't age is only a number guy yeah. like very very clearly when you just sort of see how how he acts right it's always bothered me But I I do think being there in this setting does matter. I think he should have been there. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Your questions, what you would want to hear
0: from management are coming in. You can keep them coming in. We'll read some of them uh, in the next segment. Dave Nonis is going to join us at 1 o'clock. I want to touch on some of the around the NHL news uh, as well. You mentioned Pittsburgh. They made some expected big changes today. It's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, a day after the final game, Game 82 of the Canucks season. We are live from the Kintex studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Calm, uh, ask people to send in uh, their questions, what they would want to hear from Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford. And I will say, on the Jim Rutherford not being their thing, a couple people have texted in along the lines of, they want Rutherford there because he has the history of saying really interesting juicy things and Patrick Alvine has the history of playing With, his cards close to his
1: vest. Which might be the reason he's not there. Well, but also like
0: that, I understand why as a fan, or why as us in the media, would want like the really juicy quote there, but it's totally valid for the organization to say, you know what, we're looking for a different communication strategy from our top executive. That's why we're going to send Patrick Albion to do the heavy lifting. And also it's like part of him growing into the role of being the front facing guys that you take on more of those responsibilities. So I understand that, but I don't think that's like an, it's not invalid for uh, the Canucks to make their decisions
1: based on, you know,
0: Maybe controlling the
1: message with a little bit more discipline. Sorry, nothing's invalid. It's not about that for me. It's just about does that serve Rutherford's interest? Does it serve the organization? in the best way possible and, and that's why i think having rutherford be there but deferred Alvin would have been a would have been the best possible look this, just just my
0: opinion this is a good one from an unsigned texter it ties in a little bit to the ice time conversation uh we were having and we've been kind of indirectly uh. having with canuck central uh <laughs> indirectly this, <laughs> well i mean we're not in the same room ever <laughs> that's true it's kind of indirect uh, maybe,
1: maybe at some point but we'll see
0: uh this, this texture if, says... If,
1: if we'll still have one another.
0: Yeah. Burning question for Alvin. He had mentioned at last year's end-of-season availability that he wanted to reduce Miller's ice time, but that didn't happen this season. How important is it to the team to reduce
1: its star's ice time next season? So it quietly kind of... Miller's a complicated one because Pedersen's ice time went up everywhere. Miller's ice time actually diminished five-on-five five yes. under Tockett. So... Uh, while while Miller was still leaned on really heavily on the power play and his penalty kill usage ticked up, five on five, anyway, it did reduce his usage. So, that one's a little more complicated. I, I do wonder— I, I do think the
0: overall thrust of the question, though, of like—because that—it's it, a really good point. That's not the only time we've heard this emphasis on— we can't just rely on two or three guys, right? We need to have, we need to build out the depth, right? We Maybe sometimes they've said even, we have players that we think we can rely on more. But like, I think that's an interesting point because Pedersen now has become first choice over the boards in every situation, right? Including penalty kill. And he's handled himself very well there. That's okay. You can have players like that who are, you know, really leaned on in every situation like that. But I do think just the overall point of how much of a priority is it to, lessen the burden on those players a little bit, given that's something we've heard in the past. Like, I think that's a good one that I wouldn't have necessarily uh, thought of. And I mean, I guess that just also gets to, well, like, yeah, they want more good players on the team.
1: Well, well you get to a point, like, I remember we used to do a study at Canucks Army uh, like 10 years ago about, like, what was the Twins' sweet spot, mm. right? Because there was, there was, like, a minutes level that you wanted them to hit where they were at their absolute best. And considering how demanding... Their game in particular was, right, like 90-second shifts <laughs> every time over the boards, if if you're, if you possible, in which you win multiple 50-50 battles and cycle down low and take no no less than seven back checks <laughs> uh, or seven cross checks in the back. Um, you know, we, we used to sort of care about that a lot. I do think there's a sustainability like point of no return like or, or point of diminishing returns. For players like Pedersen yeah, where...
0: You want like big minutes because they influence the game in such a way, but you want to keep their their efficiency at a really, really high level. Really high right? rate.
1: Because especially for a super lethal one-shot scorer, right? Especially for a guy who can attack off the rush like that. like You at no point want like a 50-50 one-on-one where Pedersen's out there against like the fifth defenseman on the other team. And he's like considering if he's out of gas or mm. not. You always want him to be attacking in that spot. Right. So you you, part of putting him in that position, I do think is making sure his ice times at a certain level, Um, you know, for me anyway, like number one would be as good as he's been on the PK. I I think he's got to be a PK two guy. I don't think you want him starting shifts in the defensive zone. On the PK, I think you want a group that can clear and then you want to bring him on as a missile, right? Like specifically to like four check and yeah, break up break up plays set in the neutral entries. zone. Yeah, because um, a that's going to probably result in him getting the most goals B he's going to be playing against a tired PP1 or a more tired PP1 or if you're even luck luckier a PP2, which is going to juke that shorthanded sort of chance rate, which has blown up even further. That's, like, the one area that I would, like, really be like, I, I I think you need to limit his ice time on the PK. But not not for any other reason than stationary defensive play isn't where I want to see him burning his energy. And I think he can be even more effective if, if you have a good enough uh, starting two on the PK that, that he can be a PK two guy. But for the most part, you know, I don't have a problem with Pedersen being in the 19 and a half, 20 and a half, minute per game range I think that's fine and then there's going to be games
0: especially if the games are meaningful and they're in the playoff race next year where that ticks up where it's like oh they got like six power plays tonight right and he was out there for a huge portion of it and that's fine that's that's what best players do the penalty kill is the low-hanging fruit area right and it's also that because you desperately need to improve your penalty kill still so like you're kind
1: of (laughs) you're getting two birds with one stone there right I'm not a big fan of playing superstar players on the PK uh There are some who obviously demand it. Marchand, Marner, right? Guys who provide enough value there. There's a chance Pedersen's one of those guys, right? There's a chance Pedersen's one of those guys. So I'm not like close-minded to the possibility. But for now, I mean, if you were to design optimal usage for Pedersen, I think you're probably like taking his minutes down a minute per game. And most of that coming from just bumping him from PK1 to PK2. I think JT Miller's usage has been totally fine under Talkit. I think the limited, the 13 and a half minute mark is like a, a sweet spot for him five on five. I think this team was leaning on him too much. Um, I, I don't think you want him to be your first choice matchup center, to be totally honest with you. I think you want him in a slightly lesser five on five role. The one guy who I have absolutely zero sustainability concerns about with them playing a million minutes is Quinn Hughes. I don't know why, but I watch Quinn Hughes. It reminds well, me like, of um. It reminds me of, remember Ronaldinho? The soccer player? Yep, of course. And he, like, was really good late into his career. Yeah, well, I was going to say um, uh, Pirlo,
0: Andrea Pirlo, who was, like, sure. the Italian midfielder, and the joke was always, like, he could play while, like, drinking a glass of Chianti. Well, you know mean, what I mean? Because he's just, like, sure so smooth, so smooth, so calm, like, heart rate doesn't necessarily get up that high, but he's always in the right position. It's
1: got that kind of feel to it. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, I, I the Ronaldinho example is the one that, uh, that I, I was going to just because of body type. Right. There's like mm. a, there's like a type of athlete where they're so lean. You know what I mean? Like they're like they have the Gumby legs thing going. Um, and in Ronaldinho's case, like he had that spatial awareness that Quinn Hughes does too. like Quinn Hughes doesn't get hit much. No, like he just doesn't get hit. No, that he's, much. Su- he's such
0: a good skater. And so he's so lucive. smart that he never puts himself in a bad position. Yeah.
1: Like I've, I've seen him get hit a few times, but it's like I can't think of like there was a game against Montreal early in his career in Montreal where he got rocked on mm. a four check, but it's like, I can't think of a I can't think of times that Quinn Hughes has been like got aside from a couple of times, both of them against Montreal for whatever reason. Um, he's so good at avoiding contact. And I think he's so efficient. He, he's built like a guy who can play all day. He looks like he can play all day. He's the one guy where I'm not like, yeah, you know, if Quinn Hughes leads the NHL in ice time, you're in trouble. I think he probably can lead the NHL. And there are defensemen
0: time. like that who are capable of sustaining huge minutes for like a 10 year time frame. at totally, right? like, yeah. what Drew Doughty's done. Drew, D- Drew Doughty is just like constantly on the ice Duncan for the Keith, Kings.
1: Duncan Keith before him. I, I, Hughes is one guy where like that doesn't concern me at all. I wonder if there's going to be a sweet spot with Pedersen. Uh, I think they've sort of found it at five on five with Miller. The the PK usage for Pedersen is the one thing that I'm a little bit nervous about. Um, should they go into the season riding the wheels off their best again.
0: Uh, This one comes in. And again, we're, uh, we're asking for your burning questions for Canucks management for Patrick Alvin. uh, When they uh, speak to the media on Monday, this one unsigned says, I want clarity about the captaincy. I would like to see queen Hughes get the C you're not going to, they're not going to name a captain or really tip their hand in a certain direction. But I do think just like general plans in terms of, is it a priority to name a captain for next season? Are you comfortable going into next season without a captain? What does the decision process look like there? And also just, you know, related to the idea of the captaincy, what, you know, asking them to kind of take stock of where the leadership group on the team is, the job that Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and Thatcher Demko even have done uh, stepping up this season and just kind of what road it's on, what's good, what needs to improve about the leadership. I think that kind of tied into the way they're going to make the decision about the captaincy is is something that will come up
1: and is, is something that's pretty interesting as well. Yeah, the captaincy thing, that's a... I don't think you need to name a captain for next season. You definitely don't need to. Yeah.
0: Right? Like, teams go a year without a captain all the time. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. Now, there could, there could easily be a situation where it makes sense to name a captain, right? Like, especially if you have Elias Patterson on a big, shiny, new, long-term deal and that's something you've talked to him about. Like... That could be a really good opportunity if you're if you've been convinced that Quinn Hughes, uh, is is that guy. Like, I can see that, but I don't think it's imperative. And I and I also will say this: I don't think it says. Let's say they sign Elias Pedersen to do an extension. Quinn Hughes is still here. They don't name a captain next season. I don't think that says anything negative about either of those players. Either no, you know what I mean.
1: So for here's how I'd view the decision. Here's how I'd view the decision from a, because because for me it's like um. A captain has some social responsibilities. A captain has a lot of media responsibilities, especially in this market. That's sort of where being the captain in Vancouver differs a little bit from being the captain elsewhere, including, like, South Florida, <laughs> where I have a little more experience with naming – with the organization naming a captain. But, you know, fundamentally, I think one thing you think about or or executives tend to think about when naming a captain – is does this challenge the guy? Like, do I get something more out of the guy by putting the letter on his chest, right? And I think if you make Quinn Hughes captain, he can handle it, but I don't think it changes anything for him. And I don't think it changes his stature in that locker room or around the league. Mm. I think Quinn Hughes is Quinn Hughes no matter what. I think making Elias Pettersson the captain would put him in a slightly more uncomfortable spot from his perspective. You see what I'm saying? Like, I think it would f- sure. It would force him to lead and take care of social obligations and interact and talk, which he's spoken about not always being comfortable with, and do more media than he t- has tended to. And, and I think the, the, the balance you have to strike as an organization is, is it's like, does naming Pedersen captain draw more out of him than we're getting now? Is the challenge something that he responds to positively, right? Does it change who we get in terms of both his on- and off-ice contributions? Or is it a distraction that would wear on him, right? That That's sort of the question you have to solve in answering it. Because with Hughes, I don't think you think it I – I wouldn't imagine that it changes it one way or another. Well – Does it, that make sense? Yeah, it does, absolutely. And I think if that – is if that matches how the Canucks see it, then I think it becomes a pretty easy choice to give it to Quinn Hughes, right? Uh, like I don't think so. I mean, I don't have the answer because I don't know Patterson well enough. Right, from right. a from a leadership development standpoint, like I haven't seen how he interacts around teammates behind closed, with, with teammates behind closed doors. I haven't seen the day to day. I don't know. Like my view of it, f- for example, is like I think one error. You know that 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 happened over the course of Green's tenure was that I think the wrong player became empowered in terms of you know all minutes guy, all situations guy, guy out at the end of the ice or at end of the game that you're trying to win was was Miller, and and not Pedersen. And I always thought that was sort of flipped like the wrong way, right? Like not that they put them both out there. Mm. Like I'm I'm not I'm not this isn't I'm not trying to do the Miller versus Pedersen thing. More that I thought Pedersen needed to be given more given more to do. And when Boudreaux came in, it was very clear that that was something Petterson wanted, right? He wanted the challenge of being out late to win his team games. He wanted the challenge of playing shorthanded, right? Like I think Petterson's a guy who responds well when challenged. That's my, that's my sense of it, but I don't, I don't have a good enough sense of it. So to like really comment with any authority or, or conviction, I think the organization just has to ask themselves, like, is this a challenge that would, that he would rise to or that he would struggle with. If it's a burden, you don't put it on him. If you think it's something that he would grow into I in see. a positive way, you yeah, do. I see what you mean. And I don't have the, I don't have the answer because
0: I don't know the people well enough. Yeah. Um, 650, 650 keep years coming in this one unsigned Uh. for Rutherford. And again, Rutherford won't be there, but I understand where you're going here. He says, what is your plan? If the Canucks miss the playoffs next season, change coach or move key players. And that's the kind of thing where you're not going to like that answer is looking too far or that question I think is looking too far ahead to the future to pose in that way. But I do think the, the way I would kind of think of that is to what degree, if at all, was your kind of faith or confidence in the core group of players shaken by the way this season played out. Right. And if they don't take a meaningful step forward, next season what does that do to your plans does that change how you have to go about things like that's how i would look at it it's basically how much confidence even after a very very disappointing season do you still have in your key players is next year like a make or break for them or is it a hey if they take a step forward that's good. We're happy to see that, right? Like, that's the way I would look at that type of question because I think if you're immediately phrasing
1: it, like, what happens if you miss the playoffs next season? There's just too far too far down the road so, to get into that. So I, that's one of those things where I don't think we should ask – the question could get asked, and it, it maybe elicits an interesting answer, but – To me, that's like a beginning of next season question. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, growing up, I always had a friend who told me that the key thing he learned – in in becoming you know a a a man as opposed to a teenager was, um, you got to learn to know without knowing. I always thought that was a good formulation. Sure, right. You don't need to actually know. You can know. You can figure it out. Right. You, the explicit knowledge of like being told yes this happened, um, isn't required for you to behave as if as, as if it happened. To be able to make assumptions and cope with reality without being told explicitly everything about it and and I think that's a really good way of approaching understanding other people's motivations and and reading a room on and on we don't need the Canucks to come out I mean we still might do it we still might ask and I still might follow up and I did it with Patrick right after the trade deadline so uh, take take my saying we don't need to know it with a grain of salt but the Canucks have told us that they're gonna that they want to make the playoffs next year that they should be judged on making the. <laughs> they've playoffs told us in year. their actions they've told us in their actions we we don't actually need to hear it uh it's it, abundantly clear right acquiring horonic whose term is an exact match for Elias Petterson meaning both of them get a raise after next year not pursuing uh the best draft lottery odds <laughs> they could possibly get uh, not you know uh, holding on to futures like we know that this isn't a long term an emphasis on the long term type build this is an emphasis on making the playoffs next year we know that Anthony Boviglia, expiring deal, right? Um, On and on, like the list goes on. This is about next year. Next year matters. Kuzmenko, short-term deal. Like, go on down the list. It's all being marshaled to take a big shot at making the playoffs next year, regardless of whether or not they'll cop to that. That's the standard on, on which they should be judged. You're laughing. I just saw our producer Dom's tweet. He's <laughs> Drantz.
0: Quote: Do you remember Ronaldinho, the soccer player? And then he's like, Do you remember Mark Messier, the hockey player?
1: <laughs> like, oh, Ronaldinho, the soccer player. Oh, yeah, okay. Now I now I know who you mean. As opposed to Ronaldinho, the clown outside of McDonald's. <laughs> that was like I was listening to Halford and Bruff today, and Halford. I forgot even what the
0: context was, but he was like, Remember COVID? And it's like, Yeah, actually, I do. Yeah. <laughs> R- R- Remembering COVID is like, yes, I do remember the global pandemic. <laughs>
1: I, I have pretty clear memories of it. That did happen. I, I also had some COVID thoughts th- today. You know what, you know what mine was? My, mine was that um I worry, I worry that Bedard <laughs> <laughs> I worry that Bedard is like Okay, <laughs> you know in movies, you know in movies, and like a recent one is um You know the Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell show on Apple Plus? Uh, I know of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. Vaguely, The the, the show. So there's uh, the second season came back. The newsroom? The newsroom. The second season came back, and in the first episode, they're, like, assigning stories, and they're, like, and there's a cruise ship in Japan and everyone has a virus. Like, should we cover that? And everyone's like, no, that's not interesting. Cover the, you know, water skiing squirrel. And it's like, it builds up throughout the episode. And it's like, no one knew what was coming. It's like the source of the dramatic tension. That's funny. And, and I feel like the Canucks down the stretch this season, it's, it's like that, right? It's like, you know, people are arguing things like, you know, I mean, in my case, anyway, ice time for players or like all this stuff that doesn't matter. And meanwhile, you know. The, the big threat is looming in the background in the dub playoffs. I, I, that's what I was thinking this morning. Thank you for connecting Conor Bedard and the uh, <laughs> COVID, COVID-19 pandemic. Hey, before we go to break, before we bring Dave Nonis on, do we have time? Do we have time for the clip? For what? The the, the Merrick clip, or we got to uh, get to it on the other side? I think we probably leave it for after
0: Okay. I think we anchor our, our final segment uh, with that. so good. Okay. But yes, Luke Shen with some interesting comments on uh, Jeff Merrick. And by <laughs> the way, we won't play the audio, but just while we're talking about um, – uh, oh, it's called The Morning Show, apparently. Somebody texted that in. I was like, yeah, I said The Morning Show, Alfred Bruff." But the the show that you guys are talking about is called The Morning Show. Anyways, um, while we're talking about the offseason, interesting note from uh, Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast today who says that he doesn't think – he says, I don't think the owner, meaning Francesco Accolini, the owner of the Vancouver Canucks, wants to buy out anyone, which is interesting to hear. It matches historical History, tendencies yeah. with this. Kind of like interesting, but not necessarily surprising because again, I just, a Connor Garland one, the way he's produced down the stretch, the way he's produced in his two seasons here, it would be such a tough pill to swallow to buy that out. And the OEL one is such a big ticket. So I think if you're, if it could change, obviously things can change. He's not saying it definitely won't happen, but my kind of starting point for what I would expect in that way going into the
1: off season is that we're not going to see buyouts. It's going to have to happen. Another way, if they're going to do it. Well, we're, we're, ne- we're never going to see proactive buyouts because they're always a last resort. They always happen at the end of the buyout window. What happens if this club has no other good options? In a flat cap environment, right? I, I, look, and, and we've seen ownership explicitly veto hockey operations, suggestions, or recommendations to buyout players as happened before the 2021 season with Brandon Sutter. So, you know, without question... Uh, this is going to be an interesting story and a fascinating internal dynamic to monitor.
0: Uh, up next, he joins us every Friday, Dave Nones, former Canucks general manager. We'll get into uh, what the offseason, the beginning of the off season, looks like, exit interviews, talking to the media, all of that uh, with a former general manager. Dave Nones, up next, it's Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.
1: Everything Canucks, before and after the games. Canucks
0: Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify,
1: or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game, now found together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net, Six 650- fifty. 6.50 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, and uh, we will get Dave Nones on the line here momentarily, joining us as he does every Friday. I did just want to say, uh, somebody texted <laughs> in earlier in the show saying that they are uh, very excited that the season was over because, in their words, quote, hopefully it will change the midday programming on your station, and uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but we're, we're not going anywhere. You're, you're stuck with us, pal. You are stuck with us. Um. We are on the air at least through, like, I don't know, mid-July. I don't have an exact date, but we're here. We're not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, you're not that lucky. Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) And just to, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, I'm sure you can uh, can guess what the tenor of the programming will be, but off-season coverage mixed in with Stanley Cup playoff coverage and then uh, going into the draft and free agency and all that fun stuff. By
1: the way, and and we'll get to Dave so quickly, but, like, I can't wait for playoff hockey. Oh, it's so exciting. It's always so good.
0: Uh, now, joining us as he does every Friday, former Canucks general manager, longtime NHL executive, he is Dave Nonis. Dave, thank you as always. Are, are you also uh, as excited as we are for playoff hockey around the corner? I am.
2: Yeah, I can't wait. I think we're going to be in for an outstanding first round. Uh, I do believe, although people don't think there's any upsets available, I think there may be one or two. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a great playoff.
1: Dave, are you like me? Like, I've spent my entire life watching playoff hockey, and then every year I have the same experience when I get to watch it for the first time in a season, usually the very first playoff game, where I'm like, oh, right, this is how fast and intense it is. <laughs> do you get that?
2: Yeah, you do. Listen, the game is fast all year, You know, and you guys have been around it, especially if you get down close to the ice once in a while, mm-hmm. you see how quick these guys are you can't play at the level that they're going to play in the postseason for 82 games. It's hard enough to to play it over four rounds. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it does, it does definitely ramp up. Uh, that's why depth is so important. That's, you know, that's why the teams that can roll four lines, that can play 6D as much as possible. Uh, you know, they have the the better chance of going deep into the playoffs because the, the, the pace is, and the intensity and the physicality, it's, it is a much different level. And, and, I wish you could play it for 82 games, but you can't. So that's why I, I, I'm with you. Once you start to see it uh, once a year, once you start to see it opening around, um, it does open your eyes as to how, how much better playoff hockey can be.
1: Yeah, and, and hooks me anew every time. Like from that point on, it's like, all right, now I know what I'm doing for the next three months. Hey, uh, Dave, what series are you particularly – and I know only six are set. We'll, we'll all have our eyes on – uh, the Avalanche, for example, tonight before the full bracket is fixed. But what series do you have your eye on, whether for stylistic reasons or, or just general curiosity, even relationships? Like, what series are you most interested to see going into this first round?
2: There, there's a couple. I mean, I think you want to see is Edmonton really for real? Mm. You know, I think that they are. Can they, you know, can they eliminate LA? Uh, uh, quickly and then move on as a rested team or is LA deep enough that they could possibly, you know, even though they're, they're the third seed in that division, uh, could they upset them and move on that, that to me is going to be a very, very good series. I think both teams have made, uh, significant strides. Um, and the team that I, I look at as a, as a dark horse and is still Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. Um, you know they they've got certain things and parts of their game that I just can't turn my back on. In particular, the goaltender. So you know, can they can they come up and and be a spoiler? I think if there's going to be a spoiler, that could be the team um, in the East. There's a couple. It's Toronto, Tampa, I think people have been talking about for a long time because it's, we've known it for a long time, and they seem to match up every single year. <laughs> but, Jersey, but Jersey and the Rangers yeah. is, a, is a very intriguing matchup for a number of reasons. So the Rangers have more experience. Um, you know, They've got uh, they've got a more veteran team. They've been to the playoffs more recently. Jersey, most people didn't think were going to make the postseason early on. They, they kind of came out of the gate strong and never looked back. They've got home ice. Uh, I think that that's going to be a, a really interesting series too. Uh, how does the goaltending stack up? Can Shusterkin be a guy that can eliminate New Jersey's team? You know, their quickness, their offense. To me, that's
0: going to be that's going to be much uh, much. CTV is going to be the the battle across the river. Dave, when you're an executive, how do you and your team isn't in the playoffs? How do you watch the play, How do you watch the Stanley Cup playoffs? Is it like primarily about you know scouting, trying to get a feel for what players might be available? Are you looking for trends which the league might be aping? What kind of uh, perspective did you have watching after your team was eliminated?
2: Yeah, a little bit of, of all of that. I mean, first of all, you're the first round. We're excited to watch the first round, but if your team just got eliminated you're not that as impressed mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a sometimes you have to take a breath and, and let a week or two go by but really yeah in the postseason you're watching to see how are free agents that are out there and other teams how are they performing would they possibly be a good fit for you yeah you, you look at trends in terms of which teams are, are going deep but it's very dangerous to try to uh, alter your team you know in the off season based upon a team that may have won this year, you can't you can't turn your team over that quickly. But it is still important to see what trends are, are being uh, actively pursued and which which trends are being successful. So yeah, you do watch a little bit of that. Uh, and then you know, quite honestly, I, I think you have to mix that a little bit between uh, some of the of scouting for your own club. You know, you still have the Memorial Cup going, you still have the U18, you have a lot of things you have to take care of. So, you, you know, you want to focus on other NHL teams in the NHL playoffs, but there's a lot of business to do that's outside of, outside of the NHL as well, and you have to focus on that appropriate for an appropriate amount of time as well.
0: And, you know, obviously the Canucks, their season wraps up uh, last night. Over the next few days here, we'll hear from the players. On Monday, we'll hear from uh, the front office, and I'm sure they'll do their exit interviews in there as well. For a team that missed the playoffs and had such a kind of frustrating and really emotional year like the Canucks did, how much value is there in just those exit interviews with the players and and what would your kind of goal in talking to the players at the end of the season be?
2: Yeah, the exit interviews do have value. I, I would say it's a little bit limited. And I think there's a lot of people that think you, you, you know, you, you glean so much information off the, off the exit interviews that you can make some real hard decisions. That's, that's not the case. It's more of a general kind of cursory review of the team. The older players, you you want to hear what they have to say and, and get their input as to what went right, what went wrong. Uh, you know, you're always going to have certain players. Doesn't matter how good your team is or or how bad your team has been. You're going to have players that don't like the coach. That don't you know don't like the way certain things have have been handled that that happens every single year regardless of the success of your team. So you take that with a bit of a grain of salt, but you do get an idea as to some of the problems that you might have and, and the, the veterans that you trust and that are honest, will be able to tell you that these are things I think we need to look at addressing. And you take that into consideration with, uh, with the younger players. Yeah. You want to hear what they have to say, but you don't put a whole lot of stock in. It's more about telling them what you want to get across and, you know, Yes, what do you think of your season? What were the highs and lows? But what what are your expectations for next year? Let them tell you. And then you tell them what what their expectations are from your standpoint. And they sometimes are markedly different. You know, the the younger player needs to be told what you expect and lay it out completely uh, so that there's no surprises when he gets back for training camp the next year. So there's a bit of a difference in terms of how those meetings play out between the young player and the old player. Um, but they are, they are valuable, um, did them every single year. Uh, sometimes you you might want to take a day or two after the end of the season to, you know, let some of the things settle in. But, um, to me, I I found that they were valuable in terms of planning and just get the overall pulse of the, of the team.
1: Dave, what about season ending media? I'm sure you didn't think that was as valuable, but in terms of getting it done, um, what typically did you want to communicate to fans um, at the end of a season? How did you go about uh, preparing and approaching that particular um, errand? <laughs>
2: yeah, it's never a fun one, but I think it's important to do. I mean, some, some teams just don't do it. I, mm. I, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I, I think it is, it's appropriate to talk to the media, which – Listen, that's how you reach your fans. You can only get 18,000 in the building. You you want to reach millions, you're going to have to be able to go through the media to do it. And when you're talking to the media postseason, to me, there's a couple things you have to 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 look at. I think you have to be honest about your failures. I think sugarcoating them and saying that this didn't really happen, or no, that this is the reason why. Yeah, there are reasons, and then there's excuses. And I think you have to be careful. Which which direction you go, but I think you have to be honest about your team's failings, and uh, and then I think you have to be realistic about how you're going to fix them. Uh, you know, I, the, the fans, particularly in, in savvy markets, uh, you, you can't really lie to them. So if you if the team needs a, a an overhaul or if the team needs a tweak, um, both of those are, are options, but you have to be honest about which one is you're going to you're going to uh, move towards, and which one you think is going to have the most impact moving forward. So. To me, it's, it was all about, uh, about again, telling why things went and being honest about the failures and maybe decisions that went well and some that didn't. And then you have to talk about what are we going to do? And, and when you're talking about what you're going to do, there has to be reality based in it. You know, I think some of the things you, you hear from people around the league and you've heard it for, for decades, you look back and say, you know, that's, that uh, interview was to appease people. It wasn't really an honest assessment of their team. Mm. And I don't think you should do that. I think you have to be honest about what, what the team looks like and what plans you have moving forward. And, and, and then, then you give people also a measuring stick as to you know how, how you're doing. And um, so for, for me, that little kind of a, of a brief blueprint was important to lay out for the, for the media and then as an extension to your fan base.
1: D- Dave one thing I've noticed and this is watching around the league this isn't Canucks specific and and I want to be clear I've got no one indiv- no one spe- no one individual no individual no individual team in mind as I say this but one thing I've noticed is increasingly it feels like teams are leery about setting themselves up with an expectation or a goal like a hard goal like we want to be a playoff team or we want to contend for the cup or you know we certainly want to go deep in the playoffs um. 20 years ago, it felt like every team was willing to say what they wanted to achieve in an upcoming season, and now it feels like, and maybe it's like the social media thing or, or the gotcha thing, and people don't want to give a soundbite that comes back to bite them, but it feels like there's a real reluctance in that side of it in particular. Have you noticed the same? What do you think the basis of that is?
2: I think you you hit it right on the head. I, I think that it's now there's so much uh so many mediums to go back and say you said that and you know look at where you are and it's kind of uh, upheld against people and 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 people just don't want to do that i I, i'm not saying that that's right because i still think at the end of the day you need to give people a direction for your organization and if you're so vague then i I don't think that's a direction i think it's a way of escaping Mm. Uh, but I think there's different ways of doing it uh, that can still set the table. I mean, listen, every team goes into the start of the season wanting to win the Stanley Cup. But, you know, we've talked on the show several times this year about be, being uh, uh, realistic about where your team is and your self-assessment. And if you share that self-assessment with, with the fan base, I think that the goal setting is much easier. It's when you say, listen, we had a really bad year last year, but you know what, we're way better than that. We're gonna, you know, We're going to be 30 points better. I think we're at least a second-round team. And if that's the truth, say it. But if you're saying that to get people off your back for eight months, it doesn't really work very well. So I think you have to be honest where you are, and then you have, you have to be able to speak to your fan base and tell them that this is actually what we're, we're looking at. But I, I think the reason people are, aren't as honest as maybe they used to be is because of, of the amount of scrutiny. You know, you have there is much more media. Like you said, you do have Twitter. You have all these things that are instant. And uh, so I think that what's happened now is answers have been watered down, and I think that's unfortunate.
0: In conversation with Dave as former Canucks general manager, here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet six fifty, and you know we're talking about the uh, the public facing side of things and that messaging, but obviously internally, I'm sure there are uh, opportunities for a GM and the front office to talk to the owner about what happened in the season, the vision for next year you know, I'm sure it varies a lot based on ownership and obviously based on how the season wrapped up, but what were those conversations like between an executive and ownership at the end of the year?
2: Well, it's honestly, it's the same thing. If you're, if you're, if you want to lie to the owner, it's much easier to get through the meeting, (laughs) (laughs) but I think you're, you're better off telling the truth as to, you know, where you are. And, and, um, often you can have an unsuccessful season uh, in terms of point total and still have a successful season in terms of, of laying the groundwork. Uh, mm. And, you know, I, again, I, I would go back to the, my last year in Vancouver. I think we had a successful season in laying the groundwork and signings, you know, and the UFA signings and bringing in staff. And I think that that played out over the next, you know, five-plus seasons when the team went on uh, a pretty pr- prolonged winning streak. So to me, I think you, can, you, you have to be honest with the owner as well and yeah, I mean, listen, they put a lot of money out. Um, there's a lot of expectations into uh, uh, how the team is doing and where it should be headed. So, uh, you know, they, they deserve answers and you should be able to give them to them. But again, they have to be honest answers. Uh, and if they're not, then I, again, I think you're setting yourself up for a much more difficult conversation later on, but you know, it, ownership is different in every, every market. Um, you know, some are more involved, some want, want more answers. Some are more tr- are trust- trusting, and you know we'll leave it up to the to the manager and and his staff. So they're all different. There's gonna be 32 different conversations. Uh, only the you know there's only one that's really gonna go <laughs> super super well. Uh, and, and even the teams that go deeper that uh, you know fall short, they're still gonna to have to talk to their owner about you no. Know, what are we gonna do different to try to get one step further? So that's all part of it, and it's appropriate. Again, these these owners have invested a lot into these teams and into the staff,
1: into the players. So they deserve answers as well. Dave, when you appear before the media for a season-ending presser, are you ever – is it always – sorry, let me rephrase this. Is the audience always the fans, or are you sometimes – do you sometimes – does an executive sometimes use the format – to send a message to their colleagues, other NHL general managers, or even sometimes uh, the players themselves?
3: No,
2: it's not just to the fans for for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, and again, if you're in a market like, like Vancouver or Toronto or any, any really um, sound savvy hockey market, the media is going to ask questions that aren't just to the fans. They're Mm going to ask questions that are, are tough to answer. You know, that's what a good media group will do in, in the, in a strong hockey market. They're not going to just answer or ask questions. What do you think of the season? Let you lock off the stage? They're going to ask questions that are hard about certain players and contracts. And what do you, you know, what do you plan going forward? So um, you're not just talking to the fans Yeah, Sometimes you're talking to the players, even though you've had year end meetings, like if you, you know, if you're asked about a player and he has, hasn't had a great year, you, you can't, you have to protect them to a point, but you can't lie to anybody. If he's had a poor year, he said, you know, there, maybe there's reasons. Uh, it's incumbent upon the guy to come back and you know in, in a better frame of mind and ready to play next year. We always a better player, but he has to prove it. He has to be better next year. so those you know I don't think you can just sugarcoat things It doesn't work for people and in terms of of you know of uh, laying things out for other clubs or telegraphing some of your moves, I don't know if that's as much, but i you know I, I do think that um, uh, every press conference that runs around the league, every other manager is going to see it at some point.
0: One thing we've already started to see uh, in Pittsburgh with their change in the front office, that I'm sure we'll see more of in the coming days, uh, is, is teams making those changes. And with that often comes a change of direction. As an executive, how important is it to have a handle on what the kind of goals and, uh, and next steps are for the other teams around the league as you look for partners to try to make trades, to try to improve your team? How much do you kind of have to know what the other teams are thinking and what their goals are? Well, you've had conversations with a
2: lot of those teams during the course of the year um, and so you you have a feel for what direction they're headed you know is it a team that's trying to keep their you know their, the, themselves as a as a playoff contender or cup contender is it a team that that has been on the on the edge of getting into the postseason and they feel like they need to add one more good piece to, to make the make the playoffs you so you've got a you've got a bit of a guideline there as to what teams are thinking but you also have to speculate on your own and look at at teams and say, look at their depth chart. Look at the players they have coming back. Look at their contracts, the commitments that they have. How much room do they have? You you kind of go uh, team by team and, and look at them and, and see what you think that they need or ways that you might be able to you know um, help them so to speak to get to, to where they want to be and what that kind of help uh, gives to you. You know what do you get get for uh, offering that help? So there's a you, you want to make sure that you look at each team. Um, individually yourself, yeah, you're going to listen to what they think, but sometimes you can tell them what you think that they need uh, and and make some suggestions in terms of of deals that might set themselves up a little bit better as well. So it's a bit of a two-way street, and that's ongoing uh, all the time. But once you get to the end of the season, you know, things take into high gear because you think there's a lot of time between now and the draft and then free agency, but this goes quick. And, uh, you know, the teams that are out will start looking at uh, changes you know immediately or planning, and then as the teams you know, drop off in the postseason and do their own post uh, mortem, you're going to start getting calls from them as well as they look to to make some changes heading into the entry draft.
1: Do you ever, as do, do executives ever um, look for the disappointing first round team? <laughs> Is that something you're watching for? Like, hey, I wonder what this team might think in the event that they are disappointed by their own playoff performance. It, are those the calls that you look to make in, in sort of being proactive uh, about, um, assessing teams needs as you've uh, laid out? I mean, they can be, but you know, there's, uh,
2: Nobody likes a vulture. (laughs) At at, at some point, there's going to be, a you know, you want to make sure you're respectful. Teams that are disappointed, there there is a, there is a, a, mourning's the wrong word. I mean, it's not, this isn't life or death, but it can feel like that. Uh, So I think that, um, you know, some of these teams, you need to give them a little bit of breathing room. Mm. Um, And, and, you know, that conversation might, might be just like, like I said, listen, you know, we all thought you were going to go deeper. You have a really good team if you want to make changes, is there something here that, that I can do that will help you uh, get to where you want to be? And it'll help us, you know, take a step forward as well. Take a look, and if there's something that we can talk about, maybe we haven't talked about it at all for the last 12 months, but maybe there's something now that you see in your team that needs, you know, needs to be addressed, and, and there's players on, on my roster that might be able to help you address them. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of the direction you go with teams as they drop off and, and see what they're thinking.
0: Dave, great stuff. As always, enjoy the start of the playoffs next week. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Take care, guys. That is Dave Nonis, former Canucks general manager and a longtime NHL executive around the league. Uh, fascinating stuff. I always love listening to what uh, Dave has to say about the behind-the-scenes process. I do love the. <laughs> his answer to your question at the end there. Basically, what he's saying is, like, don't be the guy who slides into somebody's DMs too soon after they break up. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a
1: little bit of breathing room. You don't want to look too desperate to get in a, get in there. Um no one likes a vulture. It, it 100% you do have to be careful about it. I I've seen uh, that have,
0: kind of per, that like relationship management side of the game, which is obviously massive, massive. And we have like almost no insight into how that plays out on a like a day-to-day basis well,
1: around the NHL. I I mean I I can tell you I remember I was um Work in the day that on well, we fired a coach almost every year when I worked for the Florida Panthers, but we were working one of the days that we fired a coach, and uh, another very good bench boss reached out like immediately to to the executive team, and they were all like, "Too soon, not classy." So you know, I, I mean, I've seen that play out. That's fascinating, have you ever man. seen Have you ever seen Man Seeking Woman? No, the Jay Baruchel, big Habs no. fan, his series. There's, a, there's an episode with uh, Minka Kelly okay. as the guest star, but basically it's like absurdist takes on dating, right? And he's, he's dating Minka Kelly in the episode, and she's, the, the whole idea is that she's way too out of his league, and he becomes insecure about it. So he breaks up with her, and he steps away from the park bench and has a second thought and turns around to try to get back together with her. And she's like, oh, I'm married already. <laughs> yeah, no, we've been together it's unbelievable. It's so good. That's very good. Uh, anyways,
0: always enjoy uh, the insight from Dave Notice and just the the focus on honesty, like and how and how difficult it is to like check all the boxes you want to check in terms of messaging
1: without pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. Nothing matters as much in terms of you know where he brought up the honesty to was in messaging, mm-hmm. was in messaging to the public and in messaging to the media, and like there's a reason that Dave Notice in this market in particular has often been covered the way he has, right? And, and you know, I think generally speaking, largely for good reason re- related to Luongo and and, and on and on, um, his tenure has been regarded fondly. He's been seen as a responsible steward. Um, you know, there's a reason that he's been given a, a certain shake by this media group over over the course of And I didn't work with him as a reporter. But... His focus on honesty is extremely telling about why he's had such strong relationships with so many media people in this market, right? The one thing, you don't have to answer every question you're asked, but if you do answer it, it's got to be on. Especially off-record, by the way, right? Like, especially behind the scenes, but also in a press conference format. Reporters will cut you a lot of slack if you're like, I can't talk about that. Fair enough. But if you say, no, this isn't happening, and it happens... You know, that's what puts a reporter at risk, because you can come on and say, they might not do this. They might not do that. I don't expect them to do this. Mm -hmm. And then when it happens, you look foolish. Like, that's the one thing you can't have. So long as you're honest, you don't have to be forthcoming. You don't have to be kind. Honesty is, like, the main currency in media relations. And hearing Nona's talk about it, you can tell he understands that, like, bone deep. Uh, looking forward to having good D- look on him, Dave, on next
0: week as well. We'll get his thoughts on the playoffs. We'll talk playoff just hockey, general off season. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, final segment coming up. Some interesting comments from Bruce Boudreau today about Luke Shen. You'll want to hear these. Uh, final segment of the week. It is Canucks talk. Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to Canucks Talk SportsNet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live from the Kintech Studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber Text Line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, just to get you caught up on some programming notes for us tomorrow is player availability for the Vancouver Canucks. uh, Live from Rogers Arena, there will be a special edition of Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah on location uh, at Rogers Arena. I believe the availability start at 10.30. I'll try to confirm that for you, of course, in the morning. So you'll be able to hear all the players talk in their exit interviews, and then also some uh, exclusive interviews with Dan and Sat as well. So tune in for that. And then on Monday... Next week it will be uh, Talkett and Alvin talking, and yeah, uh, just to wrap up there, Sat and Dan on the air at 10:30 from 10:30 to 12:30 tomorrow on Saturday. Uh, regular program of course on Monday, and then at one o'clock, Patrick Alvin and Rick Talkett will be addressing to the media. So Drance and I will be on from noon to one to get you set up there, and then we'll see how long it goes, but uh, hopefully we'll have some time for some reaction to what Patrick Alvin and Rick Talkett have to say. Uh, on Monday as well. 6.50, 6.50. Uh, we'll do 10 minutes of positivity to end the week here. And the season, really. But first, Drance, you flagged this. Bruce Boudreaux, former Canucks head coach, uh, on with Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick Show today across the Sportsnet radio network and had a very interesting story for uh, about Luke Shen, uh, or at least involving Luke Shen. and. About the people's hero, the people's champ, Luke yeah, Shen. Who, of course, now plying his trade with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But uh, do you want to add any more context, or should we just throw uh, it let's
1: in? Let's throw it on. We'll react after.
0: Here, here's Bruce Boudreaux uh, on the Jeff Merrick show earlier today.
3: When you yeah. look at what we, know, what we know right now about what the opening round is going to look like uh, in this year's edition of the playoffs, I don't know that anything's going to rise to that level because that was a whole special breed of, of animosity between those two teams in every single shift. And, oh, my goodness, was a great hockey to watch. But is there one series that you look at now and you say, you know what? This one's going to be rough. And this one may be rougher than people expect. I know there's still a couple of series hanging in the balance here. We don't know how it's going to go. But from what we know now, Gabby, which one do you look at and you say, oof, this one's going to be snug?
4: Well, I mean, I think off the top of my head right now, I think the Tampa-Toronto one's going to be pretty rugged. But not because Toronto's going to go out and start anything. But I think Tampa's built that way. And they want to be the more physical team. And I think they want to draw Toronto into that game. If they can draw Toronto into that kind of physical game, then I think Tampa has a chance. But, I mean, I think Toronto, you know, I mean, they're they're going to be sitting there. They know the same thing that I'm repeating right now, and they're going to try to stay out of it as much as possible. And if they do that, I think they'll get the more power plays and they'll be the more successful team. But I think that's going to be a a little bit of a rugged series. I think uh, um, L.A. and Edmonton has the – the signs of being a really physical series because I know that's how LA is going to play and they're going to be taking uh, shots at uh, Dreisaitl and McDavid every chance they get so it depends on on the uh the pushback and if I'm Edmonton I'm going hey you know what we got to suck it up if we want to win the cup because our power play will make these guys pay in games one and two and then they won't they won't do that in the rest of the series but it could be it could be aggressive Vegas is also a big team and whoever plays Minnesota um, I mean if Minnesota yeah. and Winnipeg ever got at it right away I think that would be pretty rough but I yep. think the intensity picks up so much Jeff so much like it, it's going it's like going when you watch preseason games and you think oh that's pretty good pace then all of a sudden the first game in the in the regular season you're going Holy moly! Is this ever different? I think that's yeah. the difference going kind to of, be between regular season and playoffs.
3: It's a huge jump. You know, I, I want to circle back to something you mentioned about the uh, about the Toronto Maple Leafs here, and I want to circle uh, on on one player specifically because I'm with you. I don't think the na I, I don't think the Toronto Maple Leafs want to get you know uh, dragged in the uh, in the trenches here. Uh, and Tampa's only happy to, to to play hockey there. They're as skilled as they are, and. Look at now. Braden Point just scored the, the quietest 50 goals we've seen in a long time. Um, they're skilled, but they are nasty, and they're happy to they're happy to play in the pit. Um, I can't help but thinking. I, I know that last Tampa-Toronto game was, was an empty-calorie game, and it didn't mean for much in the standings, et cetera, and Matthews didn't play, and Marner didn't play, et cetera. But there was a moment in the game where I said, okay, there's a message, and that was when Luke Shen went right at Pat Maroon. And and handled them and did a did a did a real good job and listen you had Luke with uh, with the, with the Vancouver Canucks and do you have a thought on if it does turn a little bit and Toronto gets engaged how does Luke Shen fit into the the big equation here for the Toronto Maple Leafs?
4: Well, I guarantee you that Luke Shen will protect every player on that team. He knows he knows what to do. He's been around a long time. He knows when to do it more importantly, and it doesn't matter. Look, at, he is really good friends with all those Tampa guys. But when it comes to being on your own team, uh, its he's going to protect everybody. But the one thing about Luke is he's not going to go out and, and initiate it. He's going to, like, I mean, he'll be physical. He'll hit everything that he can. But, I mean, he's not going to initiate stupid stuff. But he will be there to back up everybody. Because he knew that's what he was in, in Vancouver. He was the guy... Our only real guy that could do that, and he's the guy in Toronto as well. And like, yep. I mean, it, so I know he's going to do it, and I know he uh, he's as as perfect a team player as you could want. There's reasons that teams wanted to trade for a a thirty plus year old guy that's not fleet of foot, that's not offensive um, uh, in there. But I mean, that a lot of teams wanted him, and I mean. And and five years ago, he could barely find a job, and and now he is just he is a sought after guy, and I'd take him on my team any day of the
3: week. I was going to say, what was it like to coach?
4: He was great. I mean, the the, the conversations were were uh, coach to player were great. And I talked to him an awful lot, and I'd ask him what he thought, and he would you know he'd give me he was blunt about things and um to my face. I mean, we could talk as if we we were in the back room talking, and and uh, and you know how he wanted to to be played and everything else. But I mean, it, it was right up front, so I knew exactly what Luke and all the time. I think he knew exactly where I was at all the time. So I mean, um, I, I, and I had no problem with that. There was no phoniness. There's no behind the back talking. I mean, he would stand up for me um, as well as as players every chance he got. So that was great. He would go upstairs and. Talk to management uh, and say, hey, listen, um, what are you doing? Bruce is doing a great job. So, I mean, um, this is this is, this is is the kind of character he's got.
0: That is Bruce it. Boudreaux uh, talking to Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick Show today. Uh, long clip there for context, but the end of it, you know, first he talks about how Shen will protect anyone on the ice. It wouldn't, would it wouldn't have him. been fair to just play the Shen bit. Like, and really he had
1: to show
0: how it got into it. And then... The line at the end that he would even go upstairs to management and say, "Why are you doing this to Bruce Boudreau? He's doing a great job."
1: From Bruce Boudreau talking about Luke Shen, that's really remarkable to hear. I, I mean, what a testament to the season that it's been in Vancouver, right? To the sense, um, you know, that was increasingly prevalent around that locker room, uh, that this season had gone off the rails early on, right now was an awful lot different later in the year. Shen's not here anymore. Boudreaux's not here anymore. Um, you know, I think... But but man, what, what an unbelievable scene to add to our understanding of this, you know, most difficult-to-tolerate Canucks season that at one point a veteran player went upstairs to defend the performance of the coach to management openly critical in the media, on our airwaves. Of that coach's performance. Shocking. It's it's fascinating. And I mean, we all know just from
0: watching it unfold from the outside, like what a bizarre, dramatic, tense, you know, choose whatever adjective you want season it was for the Canucks, for the Canucks players, for Bruce Boudreaux. Like that little tidbit is just a tiny peek behind the curtain, but it gives you a sense of what it must have been like for the Canucks players for so long. And I mean, also like, Talk about a rave review for Luke Shen. I mean, not very. Not that anyone here needs, like, convincing that Luke Shen is a great guy. But it's just incredible to hear the coach talk about him and how he relied on him, the way he would stand up for his teammates, the way he would stand up for the coach, the way he would give his assess- assessments to the coach. Like, as Bujar said, there's a reason everyone was lined up to trade for this guy. What a guy! It's it's just really cool to hear the uh, the rave about that. Uh, and Marcus and Gibson said Shen is a true pros pro. I would love to see him return to Vancouver one day, even if it's behind the bench. I just think he's going to be too expensive for a reunion in the off season. And I mean, that's even before we even get into like, is there interest is there mutual interest? I think he's going to like, they're so up against the cap already. They have so many defensemen under contract already.
1: I, I think he's going to be too pricey for, uh, for the Canucks to bring him back. Um very likely. Well, especially given Elliot Friedman's latest, right, about the Canucks potentially not having the appetite for buyouts mm-hmm. despite the Jim Rutherford letter to season ticket members, which was what, like two weeks ago? Not even that long ago, which said that the organization was willing to explore all methods under the cap to manage their cap space. I, I think a lot of people with justification implied that that meant that buyouts were coming. I I can tell you for sure, like at various points earlier in the season, buyouts were expected to be part of this hockey operations groups toolkit to clear cap space this summer. I don't know how much that's changed. (laughs) Haven't we seen that in the past though, where there was an expectation that certain buyouts were going to happen and then they didn't. The Sutter one is the one that really stands out to me uh, on that score, particularly given how lean the club's budget was uh, for that 2021 season. Um, I mean, if you're not able to buy anybody out, this is going to get really tight really fast. Like, there's just no other way of putting it. Um, this is the team with the most cap space committed in the league for next season, as we as we sit today. And if buyouts are off the table, like, what was one of our reactions to the Heronic deal? Well, an OEL buyout, you know, would certainly make it make sense. But if that's not even a possibility much less Garland or Besser. Mm -hmm. Not that I'd be in favor of any of those moves outside of, like, frankly, the OEL ones, I think, the one that you can make a case for. But, like, how how do they make this work? You know, Friedman on the the 32 Thoughts podcast refers to the organization needing to get creative. Creative? Might not be going far enough. Well, it's like... This is a escape there, artist. There, stuff I, was, now. I was
0: gonna say there are some problems that creativity alone can't solve. No. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you get yourselves in a situation where even being extremely, extremely creative is not going to be sufficient to find a solution. One,
1: well, if if you don't have all access to all the tools, and you know, it's like not just that you have to get out of this multi-lock straitjacket in a box that's been dropped off the bridge into the bottom of the ocean, but it's like, and you can't hide a screwdriver anywhere. Like, well, that would be really helpful right now. You know, like, that's effectively you're also limiting. You're not just putting uh, the team in a precarious spot, but you're limiting the avenues available to them to create the avenues required to escape this. I mean, it's, I don't know. If this this club's truly unable to consider buyouts, uh, you know, I'm adding, I'm, like, adding a bag to my fade on, on Vancouver's ability to create the space required to get into things like the Gavrikov market.
0: But that's why it all comes back to kind of tie it into our conversation. We started the show with and and for much of the first hour about like what we want to hear from management, it all comes back to how desperately do they feel the need to improve next season, right? Like what are the stakes? What are the goals of next season? Because it's a lot more understandable to say we're not going to buy anybody out. If you're also not hellbent on making the playoffs, right? If you're saying, hey, we don't need to because we don't need to, we don't feel the need to go out uh, and really plug all these holes in our roster. So we're going to keep our powder dry and we're not going to make these decisions. We're going to see what develops. Like that's a totally rational and acceptable. And I would argue, even probably, the smart way to go about it to say, you know what? Buyouts, they end up harming us in the future. We're not going to do that. What have I what have I been saying, right? Run it back. Like that's a totally fine avenue. I think it's smart. It's just doesn't match with also trying to push to make the playoffs. To push to make the playoffs, you have to be able to, willing to
1: use some of those tools, as you said. So I've been quoting about a five million dollar number in terms of cap space. You you know my ca- annual cap column is coming, and, and of then, course, and then I'll have my real number that I mm-hmm. stick with but also Kuzmenko now that the season's over we know has hit his entirety the entirety of his bonuses so that's another 850k that will be told as an overage against next season because Vancouver operated this year in LTI so I'm probably already looking at 4.2 and then you know one of the assumptions underlying the 5 million dollar number that I've been using is is Tanner Pearson out for the season which I don't know like I I have no clarity on this I have no new intel but you you really hope that the assumption that I'm even making is faulty. Yeah. But assuming that he's going to come back in at some point and assuming that the club's going to be motivated, frankly, to get him into the lineup for a variety of reasons, right? Then then, then you're looking at one. Then, then you can't use that LTI space because you're eventually going to have to fit him back on the roster. So now you're looking at one. like That's before Ethan Baer gets signed. Yeah. That's before Niels Hoaglander gets signed. I mean, now you're talking about a real straitjacket. Like, truly, you are talking about an extremely fine line that this club is going to be walking into this offseason on even before it started. It also, let's say those,
0: like let's say the Tanner Pearson thing, you, you decide to operate on the basis of we can't use that LTIR IR space. It also puts you in such a difficult position trying to trade Myers garland Besser because everyone knows what what you have zero leverage, right? Correct. Like you're like we have we literally have to do this to be compliant. Like that's where it becomes really,
1: really difficult if you don't have well uh, we've been making fun of compliance as a low bar. What if it's not? Yeah, I mean,
0: the Pearson one is the really fascinating one because I don't think compliance is hard to get to if you assume that
1: LTIR space is there. I'll I'll be honest, the update on him is probably the biggest, like, actual news item that we're going to get out of Monday. Mm. I mean, short of the club, like, literally slamming down the table like they're making a judgment, you know, and and saying, JT Miller will not be dealt. No chance. Something they haven't done, by the way, when faced with these questions in the past. Short of that or something that's like, we're all in on making a Stanley cup playoff push, like something really outlandish in terms of goals or something, some unequivocal statement like that on a, on a player like JT Miller, the Pearson updates going to be the most telling piece of news that we get on Monday when Alvin and Rick talk at speak without question.
0: Uh, All right, let's wrap up the show here. It is time for 10 minutes of positivity on Canucks talk. Uh, Still time to get your thoughts in, 650-650. I'm going to do a uh, a hopeful one here. And I recognize how foolish that might look in a couple of months. But this unsigned text comes in, and it's certainly not the first time we've heard this thought says they are going to trade draft picks to help move contracts. I'm not going to say no draft picks. I'm going to say the team is not going to trade their first-round pick now, I want to be careful how I phrase this. Yeah,
1: l- let's hear how you... I'm trying
0: to decide if I should limit it to they're not going to trade it as a cap dump, like to to facilitate mm, a cap dump. I'd be nervous about that one. Or um, or should I say they're not going to trade it at all? I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to say, and again, this is 10 minutes of positivity. Ooh, buddy, so I recognize I'm putting... I've, careful. I've got some exposure on this one, as Don't they say. clip this. <laughs> clip this, baby. But you're hearing it here right now. The Canucks are not going to trade their first round pick this year. They buddy. will select in their spot in the first round. Oh, man. There we go. I hope so. Ten minutes of positivity. I'm putting it out there. I'm manifesting, Drance.
1: Yeah, that that I mean, that is manifesting. They just don't have many assets. Like, it's going to sure be don't. so tempting. Uh, do you have a Canucks one? Because I have, like, kind of a
0: non-Canucks one really quick, too.
1: I'm just glad the season's over. <laughs> Honestly, I've never felt like this. But I'm I'm very serious. I just... I just can't escape the sense that this was excruciating. You know? I mean, to end up at basically 500, right? Average. And to do it like this, I, it's just remarkable. And now it's over and we can turn our attention to what's next and focus on what hopefully are brighter head, days ahead for this franchise. Um, there's never been a season like this. There's just never been a season like this. Like, from from... Nose to tail, from the seven game losing streak that opened it to the Garrett Shorty sign off, an emotional sign off mm-hmm. that ended the broadcast last night. Thoroughly excruciating. Painful to live through.
0: Producer Dom. Trancer, don't be mad it happened.
4: Be glad it's over.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean <laughs> I mean at be- least at least we made friends along the way. <laughs> Did we? <laughs> At least we lost friends along I was the way. Say, at
0: least, at least we alienated people along the way. Uh, Brad and Cloverdale. <laughs> at says, least everyone's mad at me Jamie, all the time now. <laughs> Jamie, I'm going to radio
1: you so hard on that take. Yeah, look, I know. I'm, I'm putting myself out there I, I, on that one. I, I, I do fade that take though. I think the like, I what I would have done if I were you, I think, and okay. I was intent, right. and I was intent on um, stomping on my own big toe. Is I would have at least said, you know, something like if the Canucks move their first round pick, it will be to do so down the draft order. Okay,
0: sure. Like, but okay, here's the thing. I said I said what I said. I'm not going to change it. But if they like trade from 11th to 15th, and people are like, see, it's like whatever. Oh yeah, no. that's like you Sorry. can't
1: dunk on me for that. First of all, first of all, <laughs> clip that too. Because yes, I can. No, you, can't. you gave yourself no outs. You're the lawyer. You're the technically yeah, but out. like I don't
0: care about okay. that. I'm like okay, great. Have fun with the weakest dunk of all time. Okay, <laughs> Carl Malone in the dunk contest. That's the
1: <laughs> the calibre of that one. But there are no weak dunks. <laughs> okay, there are weak dunks, but. Dunking's always fun. Let me just give you a scenario, okay? Yeah. Just just a thought exercise. Nothing to be taken seriously. No no, no actual reporting within this. The Detroit Red Wings, okay? Okay. Stevie Wise <laughs> Back to the well. <laughs> so, do you know Stevie Y's three second round picks? Do you know they're all in a row? No, I didn't. That's Canucks, amazing. Blues, and Red Wings That's picks. Really funny. So, it's like 40, 41, 42. Yeah. Okay, that's what he owns in the second round. 40, 41, 42. He also has um an awful lot of salary cap space. Or at least he has 8 million in salary cap space, but he's going to have a little bit more, I think, once um once the No, oh, no, sorry. He's 30 million in cap space. So Stevie Y has 30 million in cap space and three second round picks. You're telling me he offers 40 for eleven, and he'll take back a bad deal. You, know the Canucks, don't consider it. What bad deal? Not OEL. Not OEL. No, not Myers for one year. Maybe Myers one year. One year of Myers. He needs right-handed D. I don't know. Like, look, we all know. I I know what franchise
0: I'm talking about here. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility. I'm just saying. I don't know. I, I don't I don't just, ignore those types of possibilities here. I uh, I'm betting on it not happening. And just really quick before we sign off, I did just want to give a shout out to your uh, colleague at the Athletic, Josh Yohe. Of course, the Pittsburgh Penguins fired Brian Burke and Ron Hextall. Uh, and I'm not a Penguins fan, but like the level of catharsis in reading Josh Yoey's summation of the Ron Hextall era, in which the words like "soft," "meek," "no backbone," like. Any description you could possibly choose were thrown out. Just like a tour de force of polemic sports writing from Josh Yowie. An absolute evisceration well worth your time. Dom is so mad at me that I got that in. You didn't give me a hard out. You just said like wrap it up vaguely. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm. what is polemic?
1: Oh, whatever. Come on. Look it up. <laughs> wow. Not me getting the thesaurus treatment. I love it. All right. a, Anyways, is, uh, it a, is it a sunny day in Vancouver? Thanks for sticking
0: with us through eighty two games. We appreciate it. We'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend,, uh, sportsnet six fifty.